All right, happy Saturday, everybody. You are currently tuned into another episode of Thoughts from the Counselor. We are your hosts, Liebert Lester III. And Paul Singleton II. <laughs> As always, today is a super special day because you're not just hearing from us, you know? No, no. We've tapped on our networks and we brought in some amazing guests to to round out and improve the conversation. Cause we know y'all love to hear from others too. You know, that's the benefit of having a great network. Absolutely. And on that note, we gonna stop and we gonna let them introduce themselves and maybe say like a little quick fact so you can feel like you know them before you hear them. And whoever would like to kick us off can. You can go first. So good afternoon, everyone. My name is Asia Jones. I am um, a mental health counselor with a LP, like with a limited permit, working in the Soho Center, um, the Soho area of Manhattan, at a private practice called the Soho Center. And I specialize in working with clients who show symptoms of mood disorders, such as depression and bipolar disorder, anxiety, such as generalized anxiety disorder, and social anxiety. I also specialize in working with clients who have a history of trauma as well as complex trauma. And I also dab into grief as well, grief recovery. And I utilize CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy in my sessions, as well as trauma therapy also. And fun fact, I went to Spelman, so that's where I met Liebert and I met Unique. Oh, hold on. You uh, plug your brand. Plug your brand. Come please, on now. Please, please. No short See, Okay, so I was, I was going to be humble. Okay, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I also have my own business called Asa Jones Productions, which focuses on mental health awareness in the Black community, as well as um, self-esteem advocacy for Black women. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Since she already tapped Unique, would you like to go next? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Unique Hayes, and I am from New Orleans, so if you haven't been able to tell yet. And I currently am an adolescent health educator. And so with that, I educate the young adolescent patients and young women about their sexual health, their reproductive health, and that is more so conversing with them about the different sexually transmitted infections we have in the world, birthing um, complications that could arise in pregnancy within the African-American community, as well as healthy relationships, consent, puberty administration, and underneath the menstruation tab, I have started an initiative at the hospital I work at, which is the period pack, which is a project that we are committed to helping our young adolescent women near menarche and those experiencing social needs get access to menstrual products as well as menstrual education. So that's what I do out here in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> and yes, my spouse is to Asia. She's doing great. And so it's so good to see all of you guys and speak with you guys today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Okay. And then last but not least, 
All right, I'm Philip Johnson. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, graduated from Morehouse College with Liebert. I'm a biology <laughs> major, and I'm currently at Hampton, and I'm getting my master's in medical sciences. Um, let's see, fun facts about me. Um, I'll say I have a lot of different interests, and I I like just try not to put myself in a box. So I, I do a whole bunch of things as far as just playing. I play sports my whole life. Um, I've been trying to get into readings. Um, and right now I'm just sort of just in a spot of just school and trying to just stay sane with the pandemic going on and everything. But it's led to a lot of good conversations with my friends, and I'm glad to be on this podcast right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as y'all can see, yes, as y'all can see, listeners, y'all around a bunch of greatness, not just because y'all are around others, but because y'all are y'all selves, you know, y'all bring a lot. <laughs> and uh, Paul, now would you like to remind our viewers, you know, who we are and what we about? For sure, for sure. So if you're a first time listener or a return listener, this is for the part where you are reminded of the greatness that we bring to the table, right? So, um, me and Liebert, this podcast, um, have two hosts who are two black counselors in training who are bridging the gap between what we were taught, what we know, and what we think we know, all through bridging and understanding that the world is still being formed. Um, so with that being said, Liebert, what are we focusing on today? What is our topic of the day? Okay, okay. So today's topic is the facets of health. And for our first segment, we're just going to try to loosely define, you know, what health is from people who have a variety of backgrounds, because as we know, health is a is a big topic. And before we get into that, you know, we love definitions. <laughs> so we went to dictionary.com and we're pulling their second definition for y'all to think of as we navigate this, which more specifically says health is soundness of body or mind and freedom from disease or ailment. And now, Paul, I'm going to kick it back to you so you can lead us with our first question. Right. So we have, as you all can see, we have uh, our guests from various different experiences um, throughout physical and mental health. So our first question to our guests um, is, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word health? I immediately, I think of physical condition. I think of the way someone... um, I guess it's physically moving, how they look appearance wise. And I also think, do they have any illnesses? Do they have any, you know, injuries? Um, that comes to mind first when I think of health, but really I feel like it should be more of a 50 50 because health is not only physical, it's mental at the same time, but. I don't know why particularly, but I feel like most people think of physical is the first thought when we talk about health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now Asia Unique, would one of you like to go next? Bye, Unique. <laughs> Someone in the field of medicine working at a hospital, when I think of the word health, I immediately think of physical. What is um, a patient presenting with? What is the element that we're treating. But within a year and a half that I've been working at the hospital, I realized that 
we have to navigate from the element and what's retreating to the person that we're treating mm -hmm. and look at the person as a whole because if we're just limiting ourselves to the physical element that we're missing a whole subset of health disparities and health concerns that we're missing that could also benefit the patient's overall healthcare experience so i know that when you're taught medicine as someone who is in the medical field you only are taught to look at what the patient's presenting with but i do challenge the healthcare field to look beyond that and look at the person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for me it's interesting because whenever i think of the word health and it's weird i kind of see a triangle first right Mm -hmm. And but when I see that triangle, when I see the three points, I think of mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's what always comes to my mind whenever I think of health, because to me, all of them are correlated into one person, all of them are correlated into one body, and all of them impact the overall wellness of the person. Um, I do agree with Philip that we, we naturally look at the body first, right, when it comes to health. We look at the physical manifestation of health because it's there. It's very... It's very physical. It's very in your face. But we also, um, we're starting to go towards this as a society to look at what's beyond the surface as well, what's beneath everything, which is goes to the mental health aspect of it. And if the person is working with a spiritualist or anything else, then the spiritual aspect will come in as well because that still is also a form of wellness and a form of health. So I kind of look at it as mind, body, and spirit. I look at it through those three things naturally first. When I think of health too, because I think you all put it like really, really well. For sure. But my view of health extends not just to the individual, but then to like, you know, all of them. And you know, Paul references a lot how I talk about wholeness. But I think of health is also like your relationships as well. You know, even simple things like your room space also. Like, you know, what is what is the health of all that you engage in actively? Because we have to consider how intentionality influences health because having people who you can be vulnerable with, you know, who check up on you, who remind you to check up on yourself is also a key part of health. And especially like when I work with students, when, you know, we work with participants or you name it, a consistent thing that I try to remind people of is Taking care of yourself is taking care of your community, but rather than it being like a back and forth, I think it's more like a, a koi fish circle, you know, for those who watch Avatar or like the yin and yang that we see in some Asian cultures. Because I truly think that all of it relates to health, but we do sort of short sight it because we think, you know, since America is individualistic, oh, well, your health is you. But for those of us who are siblings, right, or our parents or our aunts and nephews, we know that our health is everybody's health. Because if your mom is sick, that impacts you. You know, if your child is sick, that impacts you. If your professor is sick, <laughs> that impacts you. <laughs> and that actually segues kind of perfectly into our next question, because now I want to know what influences your definitions of health, you know, more specifically. What assisted you in creating your definition? And I think this time I'll bounce it to Asia to kick it off, if you're ready, of course. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so what influenced my definition of health honestly comes from my upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, 
for me growing up in a community of middle to low income Caribbean and Hispanic people and majority of the population also um, immigrated to the country. My own family, my mom's side immigrated to the country as well. So when we talked about mental health or health in general in our communities, it was always the physical. It was always, okay, Tommy broke his leg during class today or during gym today. But no one ever asked why Brandon isolated himself all the time during lunch or why Chad always had an angry outburst in the cafeteria. So seeing all of that and seeing that manifest and seeing one portion of our health being having some sort of attention, but the other portions being dismissed and not being evaluated, I picked up on that very young. And I especially picked up on that in high school when we had a huge scandal with the school budget, things were getting cut. And the first thing that was cut was a school psychologist. They cut that immediately. So I saw my a lot of my peers, even myself, were going through a few things in our households where mental health is already a stigma in the Caribbean, Hispanic, and Hispanic communities. And you know, you're, you're you're always supposed to snap out of things, keep pushing through. So not having that, also having community issues as well, in regards to finances, in regards to racism, and then to go into school and not have those, not have a space to talk things out, you really saw a lot of our health deteriorate in, in regards on a mental standpoint. So a lot of people would, um, I know a few people who would come into school and sneak alcohol and like Arizona bottles and everything because that that was a way of getting, of getting by. And it became a habit for them. And it, it was just what it was because that was their way of coping with things. When it came to people um, getting to physical violence in school all the time, it was because of that, because we had nowhere to put that anger, that internalized anger in. So seeing all of that growing up, it made me really, it made me realize that, you know, we, everyone tends to think about just the physical, but there's more that needs to be looked into when when we regard and we talk about health in general and, and actual wellness of just not only, not like you said, Libra, not only the individual, but of the community around us. And that's what really influenced my definition of health. Mm-hmm. I would love to expand on that. I think social economic mm-hmm. status, uh, your environment, your upbringing definitely impacts um, how you view and define health. I think back to an example growing up in high school where I may have came from one community. I, I'm getting... Um, regular checkups. I'm I'm knowing and aware of my health because of my mother being a nurse and me going to the doctors regularly, but having a close friend who was from a different community who didn't have these uh, access to the things that I did as regularly, um, which like for small things like braces, having braces compared to not having braces or being able to mm-hmm. get your medication that you have the same ailment like asthma or um, allergies in one student or one person doesn't have it and the other one does. So I know early on, um, part of my development into what health was, was seeing how social economic status, how poverty impacts our own definition of health. Um, I think to the inner cities that uh, a lot of our students or the students that I interact with work in, they, they have the church, they have the liquor store, they have the corner store all right there, but lack of mental health or um, physical, um, like medical attention or medical health care um, in that area. So I think 
access to it makes it even harder um, when you are coming from a community that may limit you from that. So I just wanted to echo what you were saying. Um, Asia, yeah, so thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I 110% percent agree. Sometimes it's, it's also just merely just the access that we have or we don't have. Right. Right. So even when I think about where I grew up at, we were pretty much the only black or Hispanic town in the entire county. The rest of the county was white. And I noticed that they the access that they had to health care, right. whether it was for, you know, physical health or just mental health, counseling services, everything else, that was more readily available to that to those communities because they were higher economic. Right. They were more they were, they were in a different economic bracket than we were. Right. So I really like the fact that you brought that up because it's so true. And now Unique Phil, would one of you like to win? Okay, go ahead, Unique. It's interesting you mentioned that about the, the socioeconomic status and access to physicians and healthcare. Because I had a pediatrician like most or some um, children have when they're seeking medical care. And to me, my pediatrician looked happy. He was always smiling. He had all the jokes, like literally all the jokes. But Katrina came. Hurricane Katrina came in 2005 in August. And we left. And um, it was that November that my pediatrician, the city's most sought-after pediatrician, who seemed to have a really, you know, happy life, committed suicide Mm. as a result of the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina. Mm. And so... When I got back to the city, you know, I was looking for my pediatrician, like, hey, you know, where's my doctor? And my mom did not know how to have that conversation with her now 10-year-old daughter. Because what do you tell your child? Um, And that kind of led me to not having a pediatrician from 10 until, you know, growing up, really. And that's what made me really interested on the health aspect of adolescence. I was that adolescent that did not have a provider. And I noticed also when I was doing my research, you know, at Spelman, a lot of my research focused on sexually transmitted infections and healthy pregnancies and things of that nature. And I realized that the ages of 15 to 24 were disproportionately affected, which is the adolescent age, Mm -hmm. when there's also a gap in healthcare, a gap in a transition of care from pediatrics to primary care. And when I look at health now within that specific group, I look at the absence of a sexually transmitted infection, the absence of an unplanned pregnancy, the absence of risky behaviors. And I noticed that all of those topics heavily affect that community, that population, especially within an African-American community. And when you're looking at it, someone mentioned that there's a lot of corner stores that have the alcohol and, you know, just all these different things in our communities, but the lack of testing centers or the lack of anything that could really be conducive to the overall health of a person is lacking. The Mm. access is not there. Um, so that's what I think of when I think of how when I'm looking 
at my position right now as an adolescent health educator is the absence of those three things. And then when I see patients that present with one of those three things, whether it be a sexually transmitted infection, an unplanned pregnancy, or have risky behaviors, I try to figure out what the underlying issue, and I ask them, I ask them to talk to me, what's going on? What can I help you with? Let's, you know, you are coming back with your third sexually transmitted infection. What's mm. going on? How is it at home? How is it in your relationship? What is going on? Because there's an underlying issue that we are trained in medicine to not look at. We're just supposed to treat the infection, just, you know, treat it, you go, we tell you about it, and we hope that you don't do it anymore. But mm. there is something underlying that's there. And so I take the time to speak with my patients about what's going on. You know, my my minutes are billable, so you can have me for a whole hour and we can talk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because there's no price for a person's health. So that's just my And now, Phil? Um, I would say just with everything, like the way I sort of develop my view on health is through just wanting to go into healthcare, being a physician, aspiring physician, um, the biggest thing with that is when you've seen a bunch of patients is you, you group, you group patients, you group common people with common illnesses or common problems that they have. And that sort of goes back to what y'all were discussing earlier, talking about the communities you come from. Mm-hmm. You've already, you know, said a bunch of things, but I don't think like food deserts were also weren't mentioned and also like access to like gyms or even parks or anything to, you know, physically get active. And that, as we were talking about the definition of health, it's mental and physical, and they're really actually not separated at all. And they they bounce back and depending on one another because it's just like the food you eat is also going to impact you not only physically but mentally. Also, your ability to work out, do that stuff. So that's going to lead to a bunch of problems and a bunch of just as far as just physical, mental health to, you know, um, sexual health as Unique said, and decision-making, all that's impacted by that. And so bringing it back to what I was saying, um, that's where you sort of encounter racism in the medical field because these problems occur with the same people And it's the same problems. And it's like, you know, this is going to keep happening because there's no real changes to stop that from happening. So that's when you just basically group people and you put them in the same position and you can't do that. Because as Unique was just saying, she was able to spend, you know, plenty of time with her patients and actually get to know them because everybody's an individual. Everybody has different situations. But when you're just like seeing patients and seeing a ton of people You got to get them in and out. You're not really taking that time to really figure out. You're just saying, oh, you know, this is typical. You got this. There you go. Here's something. And then that doesn't work for everybody. So that's pretty much where you think about physical health and sort of just grouping people when you talk about health. And then Unique, I see you wanted to follow up. So go ahead. Yes, because that grouping that gets on my nerves. Like, 
stop grouping patients together, stop grouping people together, stop grouping communities together. We are all individual people. We all are one of a kind special. See what I did there? But seriously, we have patients that I see that some providers, and I have to tell them to check their biases at the front door before you even enter the patient's room because we have, you know, there are 12-year-olds that have sex. If you feel that a 12-year-old should not be engaged in sexual intercourse, your perception of care of that person is going to change. You're not going to want to be bothered with that person. And I have witnessed this in the field of healthcare um, because a provider felt that a patient should not have been engaged in sex because they were too young. That is not your business. Your business is to see what's wrong with the patient and treat them accordingly. And I had to, you know, go to that provider's superior because I just felt that the provider's bias of what she felt that patient should have been doing and because she was not doing a group in her with a subset of people that you don't see because they need adolescent care because they're doing adolescent things just did not sit right with me. And that bias really hinders healthcare, hinders patient care, and it needs to be removed and checked at the front door. Especially if you're seeing a patient that is coming to me, leave it at the, the front door before you even get into their room. Mm -hmm. And it's important to, to highlight that because as you sort of talked about, when you're working with people with different identities, with different even like language barriers you know all of that really does factor into the way you even consider their treatment and how they should be treated and my my definitions of health was honestly one of the last gifts my grandfather gave me before he passed because mm -hmm. he was sick when i was younger and being a jamaican immigrant who didn't read and spoke patois he couldn't always communicate as well with his you know his nurses his doctors even simple things like when he would be trying to portray how he felt would escape them. And more specifically, when you think about like the visitation and the hours, all of that really too affected his ability to, to feel cared for because when we couldn't be in there with him at certain times and do certain things with him, you know, that affects the mental, which affects the physical. And as we keep saying, you know, they keep going in a big circle around each other. And like one of his biggest boosters was when we would come in there, you know, being little kids and read to him and read with him. Because like I said, being illiterate and being taken from school because, you know, he was big and strong and being told he had to be in the field, he lost a lot of social learning, you know, academic learning too. But the social piece always really stuck with him because in his head, he really prioritized the fact that kids should be kids because he didn't get to be. And I don't think it's wrong to ask if he even got to be an adult either because when all you've known throughout your life is i gotta work you don't really get to understand that you gotta work the fun into work you gotta work the break into work you know it's not just the the providing piece and to now tap on you know my identity as a black man too that's something a lot of black men do battle with you know like when they're sad when they're mad they don't sit down they say i gotta go make some money but then you think about how black people disproportionately are underpaid or undersold. Now it's, I got to work extra hard to get extra money to provide extra for my family. But now I'm away from them longer because to get what they need, I got to work 10 hours. But then you stressed out all day at work. 
and you're stressed out when you get home because you miss baby's first moments. You know, you can't hug and kiss on your partner. You know, you can't even watch your favorite show. And now you just get caught in this cycle of sort of dragging yourself through the days. But, you know, I, I want to put a pin in that tangent before I get off topic because, you know, Paul is going to lead us into our next segment, which does tie into that. And I want to make sure I leave space for y'all to talk about that, too. For sure, for sure. And I think Philip, he started this uh, domino effect on when we were talking about the different facets of what health truly is and understanding that it, it is one and the same. However, we know that many people believe that they are two separate things. So I would love for our panelists to share with us, what do you think informs the belief that health is two separate things and not just one? And I'll start with you, Philip, since... Um, started the idea if you don't mind mm-hmm. I'll say people what people think health actually is and what it looks like because um, we could see somebody that we think is physically fit or healthy but like being fit and looking good or like looking I guess thin or muscular doesn't mean necessarily that you're healthy but we automatically think that. And I remember just uh, recently, right, it's, um, you know, how people always harass, like Lizzo, for example, right? She works out, you know, she does that, but people constantly call her unhealthy because, you know, she's a bigger woman, whatever, but she works out, she's active, and, you know, she could be healthier than a bunch of the people saying that or maybe people that are smaller than them, but it's really just what people think health is. So, you know, we can see people that we think are healthy, but they could be dealing with some mental issues that we don't know about and they could be doing harmful stuff or, you know, something to their body that we don't know about, but we're just going off like, oh, you know, they look healthy because, like I say, for most people, I think the most common thing is just how someone physically looks as to what they think health is, and it's not that. Like, you have to look at everything, and you have to actually talk to that person, know what they're dealing with, and know where they're at mentally, because that's going to be a big indication of how their health is, because, you know, anybody who's mentally um going through something mentally hurt they're also going to be physically hurt and you know i'll say the most common thing you see is probably depression and Mm. that affects you know a majority i mean pretty much i guess everybody has some level of depression and you know you don't see that i mean you could just be a regular person but you really don't know you know what they're dealing with what they're doing to treat that because like I said, it's not separate. If you're, you know, sort of behind in one area, it's going to cost you, you know, if you're behind mentally, it's going to cost you physically. If you're behind physically, it can cost you mentally. And so you really have to, you know, change your thought of what health actually is and what that looks like because it's not anything that you can just put in a box and just say that person is healthy. Well said, well said. Unique, you mind sharing? I think the reason why people see them as two separate entities instead of one is because growing up, we are 
taught to treat people how we would want to be treated. That is something that we hear commonly. But as you're you're navigating health, you have to treat people how they want to be treated. And that starts with asking them, what is it that they would like to see come from this visit, from this consultation, from this counseling session? Instead of you assuming how you would want to be treated in your position because you're not. Mm. And when you're looking at mental health and health in general, physical health, when you're just looking at health, you have to understand that people are multifaceted. You can be, you know, so when we look at people that seem to be the perfectionist or the uh, high achiever, is it that they're really high achieving and perfectionist or is it that they have struggles with controlling or they don't or they have high anxiety or they have this um, debilitating fear of not living up to others' expectations? You know, we just see that they get this, this and that, but we're not seeing what's behind it. And that is how we look at health. We're seeing the physical, we're seeing what's being produced. We're seeing what we can see with our own eyes, what we can treat with medicine, what we can treat with a diagnosis, but we're not looking past that as a person. And that is a problem because we treat the elements and not the people. As soon as health goes hand in hand with you being a person first, a person is presenting with X, Y, and Z, it's going to fairly be separated because you're not looking at the person you're looking at the presentation in Asia I love that looking at the person look at the person and mixing it with the presentation and that's important and one thing that I think contributes to people seeing them at both as separate rather than one is due to the fact that for generations there's always been a more of a focus on the physical rather than the mental. So there's always been, even though it's all part of our body, there's always been more of a focus except for this area here and what's going on here. And for generations, it's been, you know, well, if you're feeling sad or if you're feeling angry or if you're having this issue, all you have to do is snap out of it. And I even see it with my clients now, how it's still being manifested. Almost all of them throughout the first session is always, I usually snap out of it. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then in my head, I'm thinking, well, I try not to challenge them and I ask them, why do you want to snap out of it so fast? Why is that? And I think that mentality of you need to get, you need to change your mindset so fast forces people to see, to think that what they're, what they're going through is just like a minor, a minor, like, um, a minor headache or something, a minor inconvenience. And it's something that shouldn't, that isn't actually an important form of health. And that actually is a form of physical health because you can have um, something as a substance abuse disorder. You can have an alcohol addiction, but using the alcohol, the alcohol addiction, it could begin to impact your liver. So now it's also impacting you physically as well. You know, you can have depression. But would be due to your depression, you could be less physically active, which can impact your body as well. It can also impact your diet, which can also impact your mental health. So it's like a bit, it's really a big hamster wheel. 
but a lot of us are grown to see it that way. We're not taught to see it that way, whether it's through our families or it's through our school and education. It is always being seen as a separate entity because there's more of an emphasis on the physical health and you kind of look at mental health as like a big um, inconvenience or even a nightmare to even have to go seek mental health from a professional. So I believe that's why a lot of people see both of them as separate rather than a combined thing. Mm. Libra, would you like to add? Yeah, in a word, I think what you all have highlighted also is stigma. You know, stigma is always present in honestly any discipline. When, you know, that's something that we always do have to keep an awareness of, kind of like how you need to speak in on our biases. Because when we talk about like physical health, the stigma that's right there is like the fat phobia. You know, the belief that having a BMI, which we know is a bigoted term anyway, is a bigoted thing, is directly tied to how you view yourself, which is incorrect, how you care about yourself, which is incorrect, and what you eat, which is incorrect. And then the mental health stigma, too, if you're living with depression, oh, well, it's, I mean, did you try to snap out of it? Like, oh, go work out and get those endorphins up or just stop being sad, bro. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And if we even tap on another condition you can live with, like anxiety, you know, Paul and I were just on a panel the other day where I told the listeners, y'all have to realize perfection is being better than what you once were rather than trying to be perfect. Because if you're always trying to be perfect, that often is a telltale sign of living with some degree of an anxiety disorder because you are a human. So you're going to make mistakes, even if it's something simple like taking a wrong turn, you know, to to a person who is not living with the condition, they might be able to brush it off. But when the stigma collabs with your lived experience, then you get this really ugly tandem of it's me. It's this, it's that. And then you start to feel worse and you start to fall deeper into it because unfortunately, you know, to speak on what I said earlier about networks, sometimes our networks accidentally enforce it too. And something that Phil and Asia and Unique and Paul and I both talk about like separately or in groups is how we have to be vulnerable with our networks. You know, we have to, we have to take off the mask and we have to be our full selves because if you don't, you really can't get the most out of it. Because if all we're doing is sort of pretending in front of each other and trying to trying to appear complete, we're missing out on the boot uh, the beauty of being imperfect together. Because ultimately, the best way to figure out how you want to stretch and how you want to grow is to figure out what others are doing right, what others are doing wrong, and what others have an idea of, whether it's cemented or or it's not. And to now lead into the next question too, which again, y'all are doing perfectly because y'all keep giving a great setup. In what ways have you seen physical health affect mental health or seen mental health affect physical health? And this time, Unique, I'll tap you to kick it off if, of course, you're ready. I say ready. No, I'm kidding, but I am ready. (laughs) Um, What ways have I seen mental health affect physical health? Okay, as um, a frontline worker during the pandemic, I've noticed how in March when COVID-19 was really ramping and just getting started in the United States, I witnessed for myself and a lot of my colleagues 
our mental health. Ooh, talk about compassion fatigue. We were, I was so drained. I would literally come home and cry. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how you guys say it's important to check your network and be vulnerable with your network and how those relationships also feed into your health. Because someone was like, Unique, well, this is what you signed up for. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not what I signed up for. I signed up to get experience from medical school. This ain't it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is not what I asked for. Acting like they don't sign up to work and then go to work and not want to clock in. Like, come on. Okay, period. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. This was not on the list of job descriptions and IE other duties. And so... <laughs> It became a shift in my mind because my mom literally was like, you need, you need to take a day off. I was like, we can't. It's COVID. She was like, you're, you're not okay. And I was like, I'm not okay. I'm always okay. And I had to really sit there and be like, you need to lose it. You cry every day. You're sleeping. You're literally pulling yourself out of bed to go to work. Um, and I started to... Um, go to the employee assistance program and I was talking to some of the counselors there and they had a lot of people calling in, but it was such a tough time. And I realized that physically my body was aching. My head was hurting. I was sleepy and yet not tired. I was heavy. I felt really burdened and I felt like I was carrying dead weight. And it, it it impacted, I'm sorry, the way that I was able to manage patients because I would put on this smile, like everything's okay, and talk with the patients. But yet when I get back to my office, I'm like pulling off the mask, literally like, okay, that was hard. And I've also seen it in patients where the mental health aspect is shown up physically through sexually transmitted sections or through the risky behaviors that they're telling me about. So it's very interesting how, even though we try to separate the two, that they're tied. Because when my mental health was heavy, physically I felt heavy. When my patients confide in me, the different circumstances that they're enduring, I see it past their diagnosis. I see it as the testing that you're getting, the treatment that you get it. I see you. And it's very interesting. So I've seen both sides. I have been a witness to both sides. And they're really hand-in-hand. They're one thing. And now, Asia, would you like to go next? So I've seen it manifest in a few ways right and i've seen it manifest from both aspects i've seen it manifest as a physical condition contributes to may contribute to purpose of mental condition or mental health contributes to something physical right and i can give a few examples um when covid hit as well it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. And it was especially scary, especially being in New York where the numbers were extremely high. So that was a really, ter- that was a terrifying time. And I remember myself being, having like an increased mood of depression because I was just home all the time. I couldn't walk outside like I used to, because that's how I used to get my exercise and walking, trying to run to the train. So that wasn't happening anymore. So 
I'm sitting in my room and I'm like, I'm not physically moving. What am I doing? And the anxiety came up as well because not only am I not moving around, I could be around people who are sick. Um, my mom's a nurse, so she's working. She's working in the hospital with all this going on. So my mind is going crazy. It's going different places, and I started to notice that because I was feeling that way, I started eating a lot more junk, more than I usually did. I was I was just starting to get a healthy diet. Then I started getting snacks, <laughs> started getting wine, started getting all this stuff. And I'm sitting here like, wow, that like everything just shifted so quickly. I started again, like sleeping, but I was tired, but I just wanted to sleep to try to erase what was erase reality for a few hours. So my body didn't feel as healthy. My body felt a lot more heavy. It felt like I had, it physically felt like I had a lot of gunk in me because I wasn't doing what I was doing before to keep my back, to keep my balance of mental health and physical health. And I'm happy that you brought up, you know, checking in with your network because my cohort at the time, I noticed we were all looking a bit down through Zoom. So one day, one of my classmates brought up, is anyone else feeling a little heavy due to what's going on? And everyone's like, oh, girl, you too? And it just started <laughs> a conversation. And we, in a way, became a support group for each other throughout the rest of the program. So we started to check up on each other. Do you need anything? Do you need any resources for the city? Do you need any financial help? And that really, that really helped a lot. And even still talking about it manifesting in both ways, I've also seen a few clients who they may have gotten a physical um, illness. They may have whatever the physical illness is, and it may have caused a drastic shift in what they would normally do in their daily life, whether it was exercising or being mobile. And they would be like, you know, they would tell me honestly, like, I'd rather be six feet under because mm-hmm. what is life now? What, 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 what can I really do? So sometimes that physical changes can lead to a stage of grief which is also <laughs> the part of the mental health spectrum. So it, it's, it's so interesting how you could, have, you could be in a certain mental state and it manifests physically, or you can receive a physical diagnosis of something and then that manifests, to you, that manifests mentally as well. So I've seen it in, bo- in both lights. It's very interesting to see, but it's definitely prevalent. Okay, and now Phil, would you like to go next? Yeah, just like everybody else is saying, uh, I feel the same way. Just oh, can you talk just like a little closer? You sound kind of oh. low on my end. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. I was saying just like how everybody else is saying, you know, the start of the pandemic was was really rough, especially just mentally on everybody, just not knowing what's going on. You know, nobody even knew about. I mean. You know, they knew about COVID, but it just seemed like, you know, we were just going through the start of the year. Of course, we started off a little shaky with, you know, everything that happened. But, you know, nobody was expecting a, you know, pandemic to hit. I mean, I don't even remember the last, I mean, my parents don't even, you know, this is new for them too, you know. So we're all uncomfortable. We don't know what's going on. We just know everything's shut down. We're inside. And, you know, I was in my little routine too, you know, I'll go to the gym, um, you know, several times a week. I was feeling good, you know, I was just being active and just trying to do, you know, my my normal routine, I'm completely thrown off. 
I don't know what's going on. So just like, you know, they were saying, I sort of found myself in like a little slump. I just felt like, you know, what's the point? I started eating junk food and bad stuff. And I just... Yes, in your body. Yeah, starting to feel bad. And then, you know, you just... What's the point of even eating good? I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to be in the house. I'm feeling bad. I want to take a nap. And then I end up sleeping the majority of the day. And it's just, you know, you just get in a cycle. You find yourself in a slump. And, you know just not being able to really, especially when it first started, because, you know, I wasn't trying to go anywhere. You know, I was just in the house. I wasn't really even, I guess, being as social as I usually was, because, you know, I'm more of a, I like to, you know, link with my friends, go out, you know, do something like that. I'm not doing that. And I find myself not talking to them as much, you know, just sort of just staying in my own little bubble, watching TV, and I just you know, felt really bad and, you know, you really start to see the effects of just how not, you know, just getting out your routine, getting, not being physically stimulated, not, you know, even being social or being with that support group, like you said, like, you know, not checking in with them, you know, not talking, not, you know, telling others how you're feeling, not doing that. It impacts you and it's just, I think, you use a hamster wheel, it's just like a hamster wheel. Um, and you, and you know, I've seen that firsthand. So, before I weigh in, I saw Unique, you wanted to add something? Yeah, one interesting aspect, I think Asia mentioned it. Um, when COVID started, I literally took and poured all the bottles of wine I had in my refrigerator out mm. because alcoholism runs in my family. And I just, my own anxiety was like, you're going to drink all those bottles. Like, I was just beating myself up without even doing anything. Um, Because I hadn't touched the bottles. I thought about it probably a lot of times. (laughs) (laughs) It's working. But for some reason, I just felt that I had to pour them all out because I could not drink wine. I could not drink anything because I would become an alcoholic because this is hard times and you're going to get attached because this is what happens. Like I just had this stigma that we hear in the world. Like when things are hard that people grasp substances and the substance abuse, like all these different things, I really was internalizing it. And it manifested as me throwing out all bottles of wine. I did not drink wine until July for my birthday, since March 9th when COVID came. Mm. And it was interesting because when my friend was like, here, you know, we got to celebrate. It's your birthday. I was like, but like, it's wine and wine is alcohol. And this whole process, and I had to realize, like, no, you're over 21, you're all over. It's fine. Um, but I had to, once again, go back to the time and why I felt that way. Mm-hmm. Because something drastic had disrupted my normal, whatever my sense of normal was. And I, and I'm speaking to me, like I'm speaking to myself right now. I like controlling situations. I like controlling variables. I like to know what's going to happen. Yeah, with COVID, that was not a thing. And that was one of the groundbreaking moments of my anxiety because mm-hmm. I could not control anything. I just had to show up and 
I didn't like that. So it sounds like you detected early that that was potentially going to be a negative coping mechanism for you. Yes, I did. I knew it to be so. I, I had to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And we do tend to have a hyper awareness for, you know, the negative aspects of coping. And even that, too, is limiting because having an awareness of the positive ones can really do wonders. But we don't really operate from a place of positive health. You know, like we've sort of talked about, we focus on what's wrong rather than what's right. And to round out the, uh, the original question, you know, the question being physical health affecting mental health or mental health affecting physical, one of the first things I did for my network was start trying to set up like ways for us to be with each other, you know, be related to each other, even amongst the social distancing. And, you know, Phil can talk about how I routinely suggest shows and I'm like, yo, do y'all want to get on FaceTime and watch it? Because that really does so much. And like personally, you know, doing that and knowing that like it's almost the time of the week or the time of the day where it's time for us to watch the show makes me feel good, which then makes me feel more active, you know, makes me feel more like less like a blob and more like me. And then because of that now, you know, because I know that we watching the show, I'm more interested in like getting up and running so that I'm in a complete like zen and calm mode or, you know, getting up and stretching that I feel uplifted and I feel solid. And it's important too to recognize that when we talk about effects, you know, it's not just negative too. We really do have to make sure we recognize the entire spectrum of how we feel and center all of that. Because if we don't, in our attempts to care for ourselves and to to care for others, we really will miss that show us a lot of ways to care. And you don't just have to care when you again see something fall apart or see something out of alignment. And to now add um to now add into our final segment, which is segment three, you know, health and identity, Paul is gonna let y'all know one of our final questions. Alrighty. So as uh you all have already mentioned um how you have experienced health in your life and how it's impacted your journey and your experiences thus far. But what we haven't highlighted so much so was around how our identity impacts it. So my question to you all is, is in what ways has your identity influenced your journey in the area of health, be it mental or physical health? And you started with Unique last time. I already hit up Phil. So Asia, it's you. Okay, sounds good. So my identity as a black woman and not only as a black woman, but also as a woman who's Afro-Latina, really impacted how I view mental health and also health in general as a whole. Um, Having an understanding of how different physical illnesses run in the black community, such as diabetes, high cholesterol, and also seeing the stigma of mental health growing up really taught me the importance of combining the two of them and also noting and and seeing how as black women we tend to want to handle everything all at once and having that black superwoman stereotype and how that stereotype deteriorates our mental and physical health as well and seeing that happen to my aunts to other women in my community 
that really proved to me that it's something that, that needs to be more focused on also. That's something that I would want to get in the field for to help other women navigate so we don't become completely burned out mentally and physically so that we can take care of ourselves, having a balance of the two and still being able to take care of ourselves, go after our careers, take care of our families, and et cetera. So my identity as a Black woman and as someone who comes from a family who's not originally from this country definitely impacted my views on health. Unique, would you like to add? Yes. Um, my identity as a Black woman from New Orleans in a city that is, you know, I lost a lot of people around the age of 15 and 16 through violence. Um, they're not here with us anymore. Mm-hmm. And just to see how heavily affected the teenage years are and how dynamic and ever-changing the teenage years are, the adolescent years, definitely influence the way I feel and the people who I focus on when it comes to health. We see um, in my community, there was a lot of adolescents involved with different activities that were not conducive to their overall being. And if I could just speak to any adolescent that's listening or any adolescent patient currently or in the near future, I would just let them know that I see them. Uh, because that invincibility complex that some adolescents have stem from them not being seen all the time. And so that heavenly, heavenly, heavily influenced my desires to go into that field of health care. To care for the adolescents. Now, Phil? And um, now I've seen it firsthand. I feel like um, it's common to um, you're always striving to um, be something and always working and always feel like you're not enough or you're not doing enough. I feel like that's had like a significant impact mentally on a lot of black men because um, you're always trying to prove yourself and always trying to you know do the most and you sort of. Uh, like we said, you, you sort of just try and maybe physically look fit or, you know, but mentally, I feel like a lot of that is, you know, not talked about, it's not discussed because, you know, it's not cool. It's sort of looked at as weak in a lot of times, you know, especially being a guy like, you know, you, you know, kicking it with your old boys, you know, playing 2K or something like that, you know, and maybe, you know, you talk about a whole bunch of stuff or something, but, you know you might feel out of place to be like, you know, if you're feeling off, just talk to your friends and, you know, it shouldn't be like that. You you should um, always take your mental health seriously because it's going to impact everything in your life. And, you know, growing up, uh, I was fortunate, you know, my dad's a physician. So I grew up and uh, health was really prioritized in my family, you know. So I, you know, being around him, I shadow him a lot and, you know, I've seen him work with patients and other stuff, and I've seen the effects, you know, not taking care of your health can have on you. 
And, you know, I really try to prioritize that in my life. And the biggest thing is like, I feel like I've emphasized focusing on my physical well-being and I haven't tried to take care of myself mentally as much as I should. And so I've just been trying to, you know, over the years, and especially now, just try to find different outlets and make sure that I have that support group that I can go back and, you know, just talk to, you know, just anytime I got something on my mind, I can just call them and, you know, uh, you know, family, friends, anybody, you know, just find those close relationships and take your mental health seriously. And now, would you like to tap in, Paul? I would just want to say that even more so now than ever, um, the notion or the phrase around um, needing a village or a community to raise an individual should be believed and embodied more so than ever um, because of the ramifications of how mental health impacts our physical health and vice versa. You need, as we keep mentioning, we, we talk about support circles, we talk about mentors, family, friends, leaning on the people who believe in you, who support you in order to get to that optimal health um, individually. And it's for everyone to equally participate and support each other and not just feeding in or pouring into one person and not receiving that back. Reciprocity is key. Uh, Y'all have discussed, uh, you know, race and gender and class a little bit. So I think the part of my identity that I'll talk about that influences my view of health is now, you know, tone. Because being darker skinned, you know, a key part of colorism is this idea of dehumanizing darker skinned people, you know, and telling us when we feel pain and when we vocalize that pain, you know, oh, you're being soft, you know, like, what are you talking about? To the point where if I've even tried to confide in partners before, and they told me like, oh, like darker skinned dudes aren't supposed to be like emotional and things of that nature. And it was a it was a process and a journey to get reconnected with my feelings in that way. Cause you know, it's the, the socialization of men that's already going on and the socialization of darker skinned men that was also going on. And there were many moments where it was tough because when you're rebuffed or trying to talk about your feelings and especially when you're younger or talk about your health, you know, you typically do get sort of brushed off and pushed to the margin because they think that's not something that's supposed to come with your identity, you know, with your lived experiences. But the reality is that's the case. And we see that in everything from health outcomes to prison sentences to you name it, you know, darker skinned individuals do get harsher treatment. And it's particularly invalidating when you do try to reference that and, you know, people quiet you with the we're all black to disregard the colorism because it's like, yo, that is a, a key part of the, the aspect, too. The fact that when I try to talk to y'all, you know, as my in-group, as my community, too, because y'all feel like y'all don't have privilege or that we don't have privileged and oppressed identities, that you existing around me and talking about how, oh, you know, my skin and my hair and, you know, if you got the green eyes, my eyes. All of that is taxing because what you say matters just as much as what you don't say. And when I'm not hearing people talk about, you know, like maybe how nice my skin is, right? Or maybe how okay it is that I'm hurt. 
or even simple things like not making dehumanizing statements to me. All of that influences the way I feel and all of that thus influences health. And I see a couple of y'all nodding y'all heads. Did y'all want to say something again before we go to the next question? Yeah, I'm really happy you brought that up because it's true. You know, it, it's true that it's, and it's a shame that it's like this, but in our community, it really seems like the darker your complexion is, there's like this unsaid thought that you can handle everything that happens that comes to you because you're dark skin. So you're automatically strong. <laughs> you're automatically invincible. But we're not superhuman, you know? We're, we're not, we're, we're, we're people. We're people just like everyone else. So we have feelings like everyone else. We have experiences like everyone else. So to be told, like, like in your example, when you're trying to express yourself and be open and people saying, being dismissive, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever heard comments before people saying things like, oh, well, you're acting quote unquote light skin right now because you're feeling upset or because you're expressing yourself emotionally, you're being emotionally vulnerable. You know, it's those little comments that contributes to a lot of dark skinned people in our community self-isolating themselves and staying to themselves not and and result not taking care of themselves mentally as well as physically so i'm really happy you brought that up that's that's really true and even when people attempt to support they tell us like oh like tune it out you know you just gotta be yourself and it's like that's not how this works (laughs) works cultures aren't just individual where it's one person saying it or it's just on me to change it you know it's teachers saying that you know it's family members saying that like i said it's partners saying that but you know this is this is for y'all right so you know you meet you had up next and then phil will get you after that it's so interesting you brought that up because as a darker skin woman I have had a few experiences with that, um, especially being in the field of the STEM. It's like, what? You're a scientist? Yes, I'm a scientist. But um, it's really interesting because I tell people, I took my kid off on all the time. Ago. I am saying I'm not a superhero. I'm not doing it because it's taxing. Because at the end of the day, who is going to save me if not myself? And when when you look at medicine, <laughs> medicine, this field that I'm trying to enter is very interesting, and there are several barriers, and my skin tone is one of them, you know, because for some reason, it, it's, it's like this equation of intelligence is supposed to, it's just, leave her, you didn't open a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I don't like it. It's, it's so taxing on your mental and physical well-being. Mm-hmm. And then the one that really gets me is, oh, you speak so well. You you have such great eloquence and you so articulate. Yes, you're so articulate. You articulate well. Or you speak so well, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like a white person. The co- literally code switching is the bane of my existence. <laughs> and just, if I could talk like this the whole time in the hospital and people understand me, I'll be good. But because I know what you said, huh? <laughs> and that is not anything. So it's just, uh, leave her. <laughs> All right. And 
then uh, Phil, you had up next. Oh, wait, actually, I think you might still be muted, Phil, because I can't hear you right now. You hear me now? Yes. yes sir. Oh. Uh, I was saying to sort of wrap everything up, y'all was saying, like, you know, I'm glad you brought that point up, and I'm glad for your uh, example in the health uh, career spill unique that you just gave. And, you know, um, I feel like, that, you know, those issues – are also affecting our health in general. And I'm saying that as just black people. And I said that from the standpoint of like, um, you know, um, we just had the example of, you know, we are talking of how black people, um, you know, tend to treat dark skinned people worse in situations. That's the point you brought up Lieber, but you know, in medicine, you can say just black people in general, are treated that same way, like, you know, that they're thought to be tougher, I guess, or can take more mm-hmm. pain or anything. And, you know, that's why we see, like, you know, Black women dying at a higher rate with childbirth. Mm-hmm. And even just now with the um, with the COVID, you know, people could be describing their symptoms to doctors that might not be, you know, taken as seriously and you know they could end up dying and not you know not staying in the hospital when they need to be there and so that's what i'm saying it's all relevant and then you know that impacts black people's health overall too though because you know it's not just the decision that we're making it's on a sort of bigger scale than that because you know even the healthcare system that we have is not really listening or believing black people when they say they aren't right. And that's even just physically, mentally. And so that's gonna impact health overall. So, you know, I feel that it's it's on both ends, you know, as an individual to try and take care of your health, but also too, you know, the systems that we have in place, you know, need to start actually trying to go deeper than just the surface level of like, you know, health issues that are, are in communities. I'm just talking specifically for, you know, us for the black community, but, you know, because it's, it's set up that way that we are having health issues. And in return, black people aren't having any trust in the healthcare system, which is why, and, uh, you know, there's actually been plenty of examples of, you know, them intentionally, you know, running trials with black people. And then that leads to people not having any trust in the healthcare system. So their health is going to suffer as a result of that. So, you know, that's even right now, you know, they're talking about vaccines and stuff. We automatically are thinking like, we don't trust that. Like, and we have very good reason not to, but as you know, that's not the way it should be. So, when talking about health, as we've been talking this whole time, I think it's important that we also look at the systematically just how our health is sort of set up to not be treated properly. And so not only do we need to take that like individually responsible, but also work to try and change the systems. And so we can, you know, some get the real change in trying to benefit health for everybody. Almost. Oh, did you want to weigh in one more time before we go to our next question? One more time for the one time, right? But I would, I would, uh, to follow up Philip's um, point is thinking of like reprogram or debugging 
that social and societal conditioning that around health for black and brown folks altogether. Um, because if we didn't already have these thoughts and processes thought about prior to going into these situations, we wouldn't be in them, let alone thinking of them in that sense, right? When you give, I think about the Tuskegee, the moment you mentioned um, the Tuskegee trials where they are implanting, um, I believe, syphilis onto the individuals there. And those examples in our history, seeing those will ultimately impact whether or not we would continue on to do it or not. So I think deprogramming or reprogramming our minds and our mindsets around what it is to be healthy outside of what society says or what they've already um, shown us prior to is key as well. So thank you. Thank you all for breaking it down. So um, well, Libra, do you want to close us out with our final question? Yes. So now our final question is where we get a little more fun because now as both developing and current experts, what are some tips or suggestions you have to offer that you think would greatly assist folks in maintaining or improving, be it their mental health or their physical health? And this time we'll start with Phil. Just sort of how I said in the beginning, um, I was sort of talking about my interest and stuff like that. Um, I would say just, you know, get out here find what makes you happy find what you know you enjoy doing get out here and connect with people you need to form that network as you said earlier um and just once you you know have those people that sort of hold you accountable it makes it easier to hold yourself accountable because anytime you slip up you sort of have that support there to get you back on track and you know the biggest thing with this and this journey of trying to navigate health is just trying to be you got to be transparent you got to be transparent with yourself and you know your network and um you know those taking care of you looking out for you and you know when you feel something off you need to acknowledge that yourself and not brush it off and you also need to let others know and see what they think because you know what you're going through is not anything that nobody else has not been through before you know we've all have different stuff so you may think in situations that you know you're alone and how you feel but like i say, if you go out there and you just talk to people and try and form those connections you'll find out how many people have the same thing going on and you know it's not you know trying to achieve um you know good health is not you know something you have to do by yourself you know it's a it's a collective effort and you know once you start feeling good you can help others start feeling good and you know just really just listening and being there and supporting each other that's the biggest thing and we're all going to get healthy <laughs> now asia would you like to go next so i have two things um one of those things is kind of like outside of like my clinical <laughs> stance of things, but this one is more so like Philip said, acknowledging, right? Um, acknowledgement and acceptance plays a big role in your health overall, because if you continue to be in a state of dismissing and gaslighting yourself about how you're feeling, 
you can try different hobbies, you can do everything else, but those feelings are still going to be there. And it's, it's almost going to feel like an, like an annoying neighbor keeps knocking on your door. Need us some sugar, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> or the Wi-Fi password, the Wi-Fi <laughs> code. But, <laughs> but it's always going to be there because we still have it. We still have yet to acknowledge how we're feeling and accept how we're feeling. You know, and not necessarily accepting it as, okay, I'm accepting. I'm in this terrible place. I'm never going to heal. But accepting it as this is how I'm feeling at this time. This is what's going on with me right now. It doesn't have to be this way forever, you know? So acknowledgement and acceptance is one thing that's really important. The second thing, and this is probably my, my, my inner therapist speaking out, is identifying what your triggers are and identifying what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say those two is because we when we go through our daily lives, we don't really notice how certain situations, how certain terms, how certain words, media, whatever the case may be, triggers us to get in certain moods or to u- utilize certain behaviors. So it's really good to have a list of when you can figure, when you notice things to figure out, okay, what are my triggers? Do I... Do um, does my chest feel tight whenever I hear this word? Does um, do I start feeling like I have to cry? Do I feel like I have to self isolate whenever I'm exposed to this certain type of content? And then having coping mechanisms that make you feel good, whether that's okay, maybe something as simple as playing music, I can use that. Maybe if I want to just walk around the block to get some fresh air, that's another thing I can do. So having those things as well can help keep that balance for a short period of time. So I would say those two things more so like a short term, short term, you know, method to find a balance between physical and mental health before seeing a professional. Okay, okay. And now you meet. I have two things. Um, one of them is really to enjoy life. And I kind of want to break that down for you. Okay. okay. Finding the joy in life, like enjoy life. Um, and that could be whatever brings you joy because we're not always going to be happy because life happens. Life happens. Like it never stops. I feel like the very end, but life happens. So we want to make sure we find the joy in life, whether it's painting, jogging, cooking, baking, whatever hobby, passion that you have, you want to make sure that it brings you joy. And just because something brings you joy does not necessarily mean it has to bring you submission. Because I know we're in this hustle-bustle lifestyle now, and you see everyone with these businesses popping up from the pandemic. No, your joy does not have to compensate, okay? And secondly, this may be coming from the adolescent health educator in me, but when you go to seek care at a hospital, primary care physician, wherever you go to seek care, know that you are in control. We are not in control. You are in control. You tell us what it is that you're dealing with, how you're feeling, what's going on, and you control the narrative. Never give, never feel like you have to give the providers control of the narrative. 
No, we are there to assist you in navigating what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I tell it to all of my patients, I'm here to assist you. What's up? What's going on? How are we feeling today? What happened last week? Are we still with the same guy? Okay, so do we go get tested? Okay, let's let's just talk. You know, like you control the narrative. And two tidbits that I have for my adolescents out there. If you're ever in um, requesting testing for sexually transmitted infections, ask them for a full panel sexually transmitted infection testing, okay? And the reason why I say full panel is because normally when patients come in asking for STI testing, it's the same three, trick, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. When there's eight STIs, and that is a hindrance in itself, because if you get tested for those three, but you have one of the other five, you're not going to know. And that's only hindering you because and it's just ask for all eight. Just ask for a full-time FBI testing. And remember, you control the narrative. And be honest. Be honest and transparent and vulnerable with your provider, with your community, with your network, because that's where you get the most help, okay? Okay, okay. And now, Paul, would you like to go next? I would say um, our panelists summed it up very well. Um, all wonderful s- suggestions. You said Paul or Phil? Did you say Phil? Paul. Okay. <laughs> all right. My bad. Um, but to add on, I would definitely want our listeners to keep in mind that it's all connected, right? So always reminding yourself that how you feel, how you live, how every little moment every little heart of you is connected to your optimal health whether it's mental physical spiritual so being aware of that um and making sure that you are equally distributing your energy on um taking care of each part uh each specific part of you um would be necessary so continue doing that continue being aware and that would be my two cents for these wonderful listeners today. My two cents is going to be recognize that your journey is a process, you know, and sometimes stopping is the best way to go. Because what tends to happen in this idea of continuous movement is we miss the importance of moving with purpose and doing <laughs> things it. that specifically benefit us. You know, it's very easy to to move around for the sake of seeming busy. But as we know with, you know, physical health, even when you're sitting down, you're very active, you know, you're doing a lot, you know, you're breathing, that blood is flowing, you know, your brain is firing, you know, neurons are going. So we really have to think critically about this idea of having to appear a certain way and recognize that your presentation is enough. You know, even if you, even if it's you present, presenting with a screw face, because that screw face does not mean you're not going to be active in the class discussion, you're not going to get an A, and that you're not still going, you know, whatever it is you have to do, knock it out the park. But because of this idea of professionalism impacting us constantly, we forget that when you limit people to only saying success looks a certain way, you stop them from viewing success through the other lenses that it can occupy. And last but not least, now, Paul, would you like to lead us into the very important part of the pod? You know, it's a very key part (laughs) that we do. 
some would say the most important part. So I'm joking, but it's a very, <laughs> um, it's um, very um, influential, and we are glad to have you a part of it. So during this segment of the podcast, we usually have our lead by example, where we highlight individuals who are doing great things, um, doing good work, or you just want to show them love, um, affirm them, and and just um, be a beam of sunlight in their day today. So, needless to say. <laughs> Um, this week, um, so I can give you an example of lead by example before our panelists, uh, while they think and um, give their examples, I would like to highlight our co-host today, uh, Libra Lester III, right? Um, recently, um, I want to say a few weeks ago, and you can cor- correct me if I'm wrong, um, Libra recently just got an article accepted um, from the Journal of, get me right, Act Effective Disorders, right? So, my brother is published. My brother is making a change in his community, um, not only in his community, but nationally as well. So I want to make sure that we highlight and, as he says, give him his roses while he's still alive and breathing. Um, so here's this clap for you, brother. Congrats on the article, the publication, and your continued success. Leave it the man. My parents agree. They agree. The benefit of being darker skin is folk can't see you blush. <laughs> that way, when you having them really shocking moments and folk is staring, I'm like, okay, I'm good. They don't know. <laughs> well, congrats to you, brother. Okay, and um, you know, Asia, unique, Phil, which one of y'all would like to kick it off? Or if you need a moment, I could go too. Okay, <laughs> okay, everybody <laughs> nodded. Y'all can't see that, but they nodded. Um, Paul took the words out of my mouth because I was going to shout out him because he and Scholars House did a really great panel, you know, yesterday where we had a bunch of black professionals come together and talk to current UConn undergrad students about anything from grad school to professional school to finances. And it's always great when you see that, because especially when I talk to the black undergrads on UConn's campus, they talk about the significance of you know, black professionals making themselves available to them. Yep. And coming from an HBCU environment to a PWI one, a very consistent thing I've found, whether I'm doing something with my lab, I'm doing something with, you know, just me like popping up, or I'm doing something with my program, is that they really do appreciate us making time for them. Because in, in some times and in some cases, they don't really feel that, you know, they don't feel that same love. And it was pivotal for me, you know, being at Morehouse and Spelman and Clark and Morris Brown and even being in Atlanta. So I try very hard to do that. And Paul tries very hard to provide those opportunities. So kudos to him and Scholars House as a whole. And you don't understand what it means to have brothers like you and other brothers who attended yesterday, um, what it means to them. It, it literally just takes time, right? Some people say, well, I don't have the finances. I know of financial stability or availability with my schedule just may be too much to bear so I can't come back but literally if you give them five minutes two minutes a 30 minute session it will uh truly impact their lives so much so that they will call you the goat all yesterday Libra was being called the goat like he was Bron or something so well he is he's Bron like right (laughs) but um um needless to say let's clap it up for all those wonderful scholars and the panel yesterday Thank you for your shout out, Libra, by the way. All right. And now I see y'all all looking real deeply into the camera. So, you know, which one of y'all would like to volunteer as tribute next? 
Philip, he okay, rubbing his beard. <laughs> so, I would want to shout out two of my best friends, actually, um, because they're both, despite what's going on in the world right now, they're both still doing extremely well in the doctor programs. Um, one of my best friends, she um, just started this year in her doctor program in physical therapy, and she's doing really well. This is a dream she's chased for as long as I've known her. Mm. So to see her in her in this space right now and to see her doing so well, just to be on the phone with her and she's explaining to me everything about physical therapy. Some of it can go over my head, but just knowing how how much she knows and how knowledgeable she is on everything. I'm super proud of her for what she's doing. And another one of my best friends who also went to Spelman is currently finishing her doctorate program in kinesiology in, in um, Illinois. And she has, I believe, two more years left. She's still pushing through. And she also has her own um, business page as well. Go ahead, work- plug it. You better plug yeah. it. Everyone has to follow workouts with Imani because that is her page. <laughs> if you want, if you, if you want to get more into a physical wellness, if you want to get more into physical activity, especially during quarantine, she has the perfect page for it. She has the perfect spot, and I'll even um, I'll tag in her name and and I'll dock as well. But she um, she's been doing amazing also. So I want to shout out to Veronica Canada and Imani Canton. I love you guys. <laughs> shout out to best friends, Veronica and Imani. This for you. Snap it up. Clap it up. They are doing wonderful things and you deserve the love. Keep okay, fighting. Now, Phil, Unique, which one of y'all like to go next? I'll go ahead and go. Um, I want to shout out my medical science class because I'm going to share this podcast with them. But it's about you know 12 of us. And we're, we've, it's been definitely challenging uh, navigating this school year because it's all been virtual. We've all been trying to make those connections virtually. You know, we've been reaching out. We started multiple group chats. And, you know, I feel like we're all starting to um, just really get to know each other. But more importantly, you know, I see, you know, the greatness in them that got them there, too. And just similar to how the AUC was just that environment of being around, you know, just a bunch of young black students that are, you know, have the same goals and aspirations as you and how that uh, positively benefits you. You know, I feel the same way with this group, you know, it's very close and tight knit and everybody is really focused. And, you know, we've been grinding it out these past couple of months. We're entering our last stretch of uh, the first semester. Yes. Yeah, we've been working hard, and um, you know, I just wanted to say, you know, I see all y'all working hard. Thank you for answering my questions. You know, we've been there holding each other accountable, studying even though it's virtual, but you know, getting the books. And you know, just shout out to y'all. Y'all doing good, and we got a, still another year and a half all together. So we're just gonna keep working. But shout out to y'all. See y'all working. Let's keep going. That's right. Show that love. Yes, yes. Shout out to the medical science class. Cohort matters, man. Listen, the cohort model works, and we definitely need that. So continue your your great success in your graduate studies, brother, and to your cohort as well. And last but not least, Unique. I think it's a shout out everyone. Everyone is just 
we are all doing it, okay? Whether it's school, the medical sciences, or therapy, counseling our clients, or graduating in 2020, which was amazing despite all odds. We did it. I just want to shout out everyone because we are all right where we're supposed to be, doing exactly what it is that we're supposed to be. And it was so lovely and great on all of us. So I just want to shout out everyone because we really the bomb diggity like. Well said, Unique. Well said. Get a ray of sunshine. Listen, first of all, before we shout out everyone, I want to shout out your energy, Unique, because it had me on one this whole time. So I want to shout out your energy. Just pure. I love it. I, I love your spirit. But yeah, shout out everyone. Everyone, keep doing what you're doing. Keep working hard. Doing what you must. Healthily, <laughs> while being healthy, of course. <laughs> Weber, mm-hmm. before we close, do you want to hit our listeners with the question of the day? Okay, okay. So, listeners, your question of the day idea today is, what do you know about physical and mental health? You know, I'm going to let it breathe, and I'm going to bring it back. So, listeners, what do you know about physical and mental health? And now, panelists, key takeaways before we wrap up. Are there any closing thoughts that you want to share, that you want to drop? And it's okay if you don't have any, because I know y'all said a lot of great information already. But if you have one last burning thing you feel like needs to be said but wasn't, this is your time. And same way we've been doing it, you know, put your hand up, you know, lean into the camera, whatever it is, we'll know that you're ready to talk. Okay, Asia? Last thing I would say is to anyone listening is to remember that the journey to health is just that. It's a journey. It's not a sprint. And when it comes to overall wellness, things take time. However, it can absolutely happen. So it doesn't, you don't have to rush to be healthy. You don't have to rush to feel okay within a day. It takes time. It's a journey. Well, you can absolutely get there. Okay, now, Phil, you need? Oh, you think you still muted again, Phil? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, just sort of piggyback on what Asia said. Um, I want all the listeners to know that it's never too early or too late to start taking your health serious. Um, It's a journey. It's not going to be easy. Um, because it's very, it's easy to get off course from your, your health journey, your health goal, you know, sort of how we all gave our examples earlier, you know, when we all were faced with adversity, you know, we all just sort of turned to trying to feel better and just sort of, you know, get away from everything. But, you know, we have to take it serious. You got to take it face on, you know, you got to take it as a challenge and go right at it and attack it and be sure to establish your support group, you know, get your schedule down. And just the biggest thing is just be transparent with yourself and your, uh, and others. Don't try and hide stuff. Don't try to deflect your feelings or anything. Just keep working and you'll get to your goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and now unique? One last thing that I just want to say is it's important to understand the you in your journey um, to help because we live in a world with instant gratification, with liposuction and body applications. And Miami. <laughs> I just want to let you know that your health is yours, that it's going to take time and it's cultivated just for you. It's just for you. And literally, as someone who has been on this health journey that involves weight, let me tell you, the scale is not your friend. That BMI is not your friend. You are doing great. You're doing great. Like, you're doing so great. And just remember, it's you and your journey for health, and that's all that matters. You know, you got it. Right, all right. Y'all heard him, y'all. This has been another episode from Thoughts from a Counselor. We are your hosts, Libra Lester III. And Paul Singleton II. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay sad if you're feeling that too, because you're going to get out of that. But most importantly, stay you, everybody. Be safe. Proud of you. Look to the sky, why don't you live for the finer things? You know, you know, you know what you find.